This is Truth Talks. Welcome back, everyone, to the Truth Talks podcast. I'm your host, Buddy Boone. It's been how long since I've actually said that? That's it's it's been a while since I've actually said that. You're still Buddy Boone. I I am. I am. And you're still Matt White. Yeah. How you doing today, sir? Oh, I'm blessed, man. Blessed. Blessed to be with you, my brother, and blessed to be part of the body of Christ. What a joy. Yeah. 100% of joy and uh I missed you man. I miss you too and uh, I'm gonna turn this up here a little bit. You know, the 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 wonderful thing about this is that it's kind of like riding a bike. You just you know, away for a while and then you just come back and everything is, you know, not necessarily normal cuz you know, what is normal these days, but you know, it's always a good feeling to to come back. One because I have a ton of questions I need to ask you. Uh, yeah, just it's a few. Not a whole lot's been happening. Yeah, not a whole lot's been happening in the last couple months. But also just to kind of an explanation of why we're back here, and we're not somewhere different. Because the last time you heard my voice, I was saying that we were going to revamp and do something different. And in the middle of kind of thinking through what those things would be, um it just made sense just to leave it as it is Yep. and just keep going, doing the same thing that we were doing, um, same format, same everything. Uh, this was the, not just the easiest thing to do, but what I felt was the best thing to do. So, yeah, I think we're just going to do that. And, and that's all I have to say about that. There you go. All right. Let's get into it. A- absolutely. Cause I just have a few questions. I'm trying to be conservative here because the floodgates can open right now. And I can just like, I have so many questions about different things. Uh, you're preaching, you know, on Sunday morning. Um, I have a ton of questions there. Um, you have been preaching through the book of Mark. Uh, you took a few Sundays and preached from, uh, you preached from Luke one Sunday and you know, yeah, there, there's just a ton of questions. I kind of I kind of don't know where to start. That's yeah. the other thing. Yeah. Um, so how this about is, I how about I back up a little bit? Go for it. I'm gonna back up to about May. Okay. Okay. So May, uh, July, uh, usually days that uh, you know we, and I think June, uh, June is another one. May, June, and July during the summertime. There's usually this big huge push for people to wave an American flag and you know, talk about the country and uh, July 4th was really the big, like the, 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 the climax of it, I would say. Mm. And I wanted to ask you this question because this question has come up a lot lately uh, at, at my house, but also uh, I've been hearing it a lot amongst evangelicals. Mm. That question really comes to, um, to, to, it really, it really comes down to this. All I'm hearing is that there will be a lot of people there. All I'm hearing is there are a lot of people that are asking for revival. Mm. They're saying we want revival. We need revival. You know, they're using, uh, is it second Corinthians, second Chronicles seven. Uh, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. Uh, I will heal their land basically. And that's what they're looking for. They're looking for, the healing of the United States because the his people will turn 
to him. And this whole idea of revival, um, that's really been what I've seen a lot. People say, we need revival. We need revival. And what does the Bible actually say uh, about this? Because obviously we are, I'm trying to get to the point of this question. This is a big, long question. I haven't had a chance to talk on a microphone in a long time, so y'all excuse me. I'll just let you go, brother. <laughs> get it out of your system. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot in my system right now. Uh, you know, because there's so many of these, you know, different sayings that people have. And, you know, we need revival. God helped save America. You know, all these things. My brain wants to tell me, no. America is just lost and we're seeing some of the sin manifest itself. Um, okay. I'm gonna shut up. What say you, what say you about the revival? What say ye about, <laughs> I switched it up on you. What say ye about the revival in America and where we've gone? I know it's a very broad and general question, but yeah. I feel like you have the pastoral uh, uh, angst. I'll scoop it up. Yeah, you, you, you'll, you'll pick it up and clean it up for me. Yeah, so all right, a couple things. One is uh, I guess we have to define what do we mean by revival, right? And so, right. So that's a big thing. Going back to you, what you said originally, let me just clear the air, you know, when you're talking about uh, that passage in Chronicles. and Let me just say that that passage has absolutely nothing to do with America and has uh, no no direct correlation to us we're not god's people and the scope of our land doesn't have any bearing to the land used in that passage it's talking to israel it's talking to the specific people of god under the old covenant and all of that passage has to be understood and applied uh, to israel in that day mm -hmm. right and so so much like uh, you know many passages in the old testament get butchered when it comes to application and if people try to apply it to America and America is not, you know, the promised land and Americans or any other nation for that matter are not the people of Israel. So when you're reading uh, those passages, you have to understand them historically and canonically in the flow of the progress of revelation in the plan of God. If not, you're going to, you're going to go all kinds of half cocked with God's word and apply it in ways that are not only bad, but uh, false. And so let me just, so that passage has nothing to do. It has a lot to do with the character of God, obviously. It has a lot to do to teach us about timeless principles and God and how he deals with people and things like that we can talk about. But when it comes to covenantal blessings, that passage specifically applies to Israel and, mm -hmm. and only to Israel. And, mm -hmm. and we're not Israel. So. Um, that's really clear. And again, not that we can't learn things and can't be encouraged by that passage. A absolutely, we can. We just have to understand it clearly and rightly, and then we can apply it clearly and rightly. And what you're talking about is normal. Everybody runs to passages like that. That's not what that passage speaks of. And, and so we just move that aside and, and go to other texts if we want to talk about things um, pertaining to revival. But going back to the idea of revival, um, I, I'm always interested when I hear people talk about that. I always want to know what they mean. What do you mean, revival? Because here's why. Um, for, something, for something to uh, be revived, it, it, had, it had to be alive. Right. You know, 
you know, the whole idea of the word. Right? Again, yeah. that's why we have to define the word, mm-hmm. right? And so what do you mean? What are you talking about? What needs to be revived? Because something to be revived had to have once been alive, hmm. right? And uh, so if you're talking about a nation, you know, what are you talking about? So, again, that's where it's a broad question, and I don't, you know, not 100% sure w- which direction to go in. But I think the better way is just understanding revival, even in light of Scripture. And, and so um, there, is, there is not going to be any revival in our nation, obviously. We're a nation under God's judgment. That is obvious. You can't deny that. And I can prove that to you straight out of Romans chapter 1. You can go to Romans chapter 1, and you can see Paul say emphatically that the wrath of God has been poured out upon the ungodliness of man. Mm -hmm. And he walks through Romans chapter 1 and shows where man is and the ungodliness that man promotes that God then brings his wrath upon. Well, that's our nation. I mean, there's no clearer description of America than what Paul says right there in Romans chapter 1 and how we have completely rejected the creator and now worship the creation. And, and that you can see that on multiple levels, whether it's in our own uh, worshiping of the climate and down the line it goes of our, of our uh, self-made uh, Godhead in our own trying to be God and generate and create and all these things not out of uh, not out of a good stewardship, but out of trying to reject God and His plan and going our own way. And mm-hmm. obviously, mankind's been doing that forever. But that then spirals worse once you go down that path of of cre- recreating God after your own image. And obviously, we've done that for a long time now. Then you begin to redefine things, right? And so recreate God, then you redefine society, you redefine marriage, you redefine gender, you redefine sexuality, and of course, that's what that passage shows. And I mean, that's exactly where our nation is and has been, and it's just getting worse and worse. God has, he's just literally just lifted his hands and letting it go the course it's going to go, and it's, it's part of God's judgment. It's obvious that's where we are and um, the bigger thing though that I think so that's obvious I think any 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 honest evaluator of culture and history would see that right there was a time in which this nation never perfect because it's filled with sinners uh, and always has been always will be but yet there was a time in which this nation was pouring out missionaries and seeking to bring uh, the gospel to the to the lost and there was an understanding, there was a segment of society that understood that they were living for eternity and and not for the temporal pleasures of this world. And obviously, that is gone. Yeah. I mean, you don't see anything like that. Yeah, right? definitely. Again, the modern missionary movement, right, was in large part, uh, you know, promoted out of here, you know, England and America. And you, you have that and the stalwarts and of the missionary movement. And I mean, there's... People are sending their missionaries here. Wow. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a common thing for countries now to be sending their people here. Why? Because our nation is, is lost. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's a pitiful place. And again, that's not a doom and gloom. That's just, just as honest. And our government is unhinged. Our government is anti-God. 
at, at, at literally at just about every level. That doesn't mean every politician and every government official. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about the structure, the mm-hmm. system. It is, it, is, it is unhinged, meaning it's being used to promote ungodliness. Right. It's being used to create more ungodliness, whether it's, it's through uh, a judicial system by which the, 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 the rights of people are being totally dismantled, people who want to serve God, people who want to do what's right. And the, you know, I mean, you're watching criminals constantly be let loose and run amok and mm-hmm. people who are law-abiding citizens treated like criminals. Mm-hmm. The whole thing's being turned on its head. Well, I think the Bible says something about when a, when a nation calls good evil and evil good, mm-hmm. it's, under, it's coming under the judgment of God. Well, that's our nation. Our yeah. nation literally is looking at evil, transgenderism, which the Bible calls evil, and we're celebrating it. Homosexuality mm-hmm. is evil, and we're celebrating it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we, we have a whole month now on our calendar where we celebrate. Think about it. Think about, the, think about how, how ironic this is, where we celebrate pride. Well, what does the Bible say about pride? What does, Bible say, what does the Bible say God does to the proud? Mm-hmm. He oppresses them. He mm-hmm. pushes them away. Mm-hmm. He literally flings them away, wants nothing to do with them. He pushes the proud away, but he, what, gives grace to the humble. Mm-hmm. He pulls the humble in, but he pushes the proud away, literally. That's, that's what it says. And, and pride, we, pride and, goes before destruction. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And we have a whole month now where we stand up and say we're proud, mm-hmm. right? And so all this is, is, this is just the birth pangs of the beginning of the end in every way. Because what you're seeing is exactly what Revelation depicts when God himself, everyone knows it's God, and he is hurling out his wrath literally then, right? Literally from heaven itself, the, uh, the, um, the moon turns to darkness, the uh, sea is, is destroyed, half a third of it turns to blood, and all the animals are dying. Mm. I mean, it's just... It's just hell on earth, and everyone knows. Sores, people are dying, pandemic, COVID's nothing mm-hmm. of what's coming. And everyone knows it's God who's doing it. I mean, there's no, there's no, you know, it's not aliens. They know God is doing Angels are flying through the heaven, literally preaching the gospels, cr- crying out, fear God and turn to him. And you know what people do? They, they give God the bird, literally. Mm-hmm. They, they, risk, they lift their fist to God and they shake their hand at him. Mm-hmm. Well, that's exactly what's happening now. Mm-hmm. It's all being set up. It's not going to stop. Mm-hmm. It's just the, the pride of man is just going to keep getting larger, stronger, and harder to where man has no fear of God. Well, that's what Romans 3 says. Yeah. And so you're watching what has always been inside of man, right? We were born this way. And now it's becoming... It's, it's growing to where it comes out of man with no shame, mm-hmm. no shame that they hate God, no, no desire to hide it anymore. They just, they just are running headlong into their sin, and that's, that's where we're at. So if you're talking about a revival of the nation, well, that's, that's not going to happen, mm-hmm. right? Um, again, because why? Because that's not what you see in Scripture, mm-hmm. right? In the New Testament, there's no prayer to save a nation, mm-hmm. There's nothing in Scripture that says that. There's nothing even hints towards that. Matter of fact, in Scripture, everything says the nations 
are going to rise up against God. That's what that's what Psalm two shows, right? Pro- prophetically, that the nations are going to rise against God, and Psalm two is a warning to them: you better bend down and kiss the ring of the sun, because His wrath is coming after you. So we know the nations are going to do that. We know the nations are going to run amok and and seek their own way and and try to promote their own kingdom agendas. So we know that. That's why the gospel and the scriptures promote individual salvation, right? Mm -hmm. Not nation building, not somehow trying to save uh, groups of people, i.e. cultures or nations, but about individuals, Mm -hmm. right? Taking the gospel to the lost. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's about the church. It's about the spreading of the gospel, the planting of churches, the starting of the church, the strengthening of the church. It's about the church, not about the nation. I'm not saying that it's not good and right and true to have good politicians. We should. And to have good governors, we should. And by God's grace, good presidents and kings, man, if that can happen, praise the Lord. But the reality is that's all going to come to an end. Mm-hmm. We know that. We know that very clearly. The Bible shows that. And we know that the better part of humanity, m- most of it, it wants nothing to do with God. And so um, while it's okay to to pray for those things, pray for our politicians, we're commanded to, pray for our nation where we should do that, i.e. the people who are in those uh, places of leadership. But that should, that's not our ministry. That's not our passion. Our passion is the gospel and taking the gospel to our neighbors, to our family members, to the lost, to whomever God puts in our sphere. And one life, one heart at a time, that's where revival, back to our word, revival happens as as one heart is transformed and then another heart is transformed. That's how you bring about change. But even that isn't going to end persecution. Even that isn't going to end oppression and, and disaster and, and catastrophe and crime in the end because we know that man is going to wax on worse and worse. Second Timothy three, like it's just people are going to be at the end at the end of all. What are they going to be? Lovers of selves, right? They're going to be lovers of themselves. They're going to be lovers of sin, lovers of wickedness. Well, that's what we're seeing. So we know we can see it ratcheting up, and so we don't get excited about this. We know the only hope is the gospel, and that our calling is not to save the whales or to save the planet. Our calling is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ because He's the only one that can save all of it. And that's what we do. And so revival is interesting because it's a biblical reality. It is, right? Because if you understand the reality that something dead needs to be revived again, well, that's you. That's me, mm-hmm. right? A better way to say it, what we need is regeneration. Now, yeah. now we're getting somewhere, yeah. right? So John 3, that's what we need because regeneration, guess what? It brings revival. Mm-hmm. So I, I will use the phrase often in our prayer concert of prayer we do here, and I say it every time. I pray for revival, but I pray for this. I pray for revival in the pulpits of our churches across this land because mm-hmm. obviously, generally, they were once alive, and now most of them are dead, and they need to be revived through the pure preaching of the Word of God and the unadulterated preaching of the gospel, the pure gospel, the true gospel, and if they do, that's what brings life, regeneration, mm-hmm. right? Romans chapter 10, God doesn't use drama, and he doesn't use skits. He doesn't use dancing, juggling clowns. He uses 
the preaching of the word. Romans chapter 10. How will they hear unless someone what? Preaches. Mm-hmm. It's it's through the preaching of the word, through the spreading of the gospel that lives are changed, that regeneration comes when the spirit of God takes the word of God and and literally cuts across the heart of man, then revival comes. That's what you see in Acts chapter 2. Mm-hmm. In Acts chapter 2, when you're dealing with the Jews that cried, crucify him, Peter preaches to them, and it says in Acts chapter 2, long about verse 37, they were cut to the heart, mm-hmm. and they said, what must we do mm-hmm. to be saved? How do we respond to this? And they were saved, and what? They went from being those who killed Christ to those who followed and worshiped Christ. Mm-hmm. What changed all that? Regeneration through the preaching of the word. And so that's the revival, if you want to use that term, that we need. We need, we need our pulpits to come back to life. And so, yeah, I, 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 obviously that's a reality that we see in the scriptures. That's why Timothy is commanded to what? Preach the word. Mm-hmm. Amidst the dying, decaying culture of his day, because 2 Timothy 4 comes after 2 Timothy 3, mm-hmm. and 2 Timothy 3 is a pretty scary passage. And Paul says, this is what it's going to be like in last days. It's going to be awful. Mm-hmm. They're going to be haters of their parents. Mm-hmm. They're going to curse their parents. They're going to kill one another. They're going to be searching out all kinds of immorality. Well, that's what we're watching. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't say, you know, try to save the nation. He says, no, Timothy, you just preach the word. And that's what I will use to save all those whom I'm going to save and to fix whatever nation I want to fix and preserve. I will use that to do it. And that's what you focus on. Again, I'm not against being involved in politics. I'm all for that in in, in a secondary sense. Mm-hmm. I am. I think that's we should. We should do good to all men. We're commanded to. And that's a that's a phenomenal way to do it. But that's not primary. And that's what people think often how they use this word revival. We need more laws. We need to get more people in. We need to pick it more. And it's like, no, no, we don't. We need to preach the word and we need to obey the word and we need to live the word. That's what we need. And that'll, that'll change. That'll change your neighborhood. That'll change your home. That'll change your job. That'll change all kinds of things. And that'll bring all kinds of revival. And that's what happened in the historically, if we look across revivals in the past, both biblically. We, so we see revival throughout the Old Testament and even in the New Testament. Well, I just quoted you one in Acts 2. That's a revival. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. And what happened? They prayed and they preached, mm-hmm. right? Acts chapter 16, a pretty serious revival is going on. Where? In jail with Paul and Silas. And they're singing songs and they're praying, right? And why were they there? Because they were preaching. And then an earthquake comes and the man's going to, the jailer's going to kill himself. He gets saved. His whole family gets saved. The the entire place Mm -hmm. is like coming back to life. Mm -hmm. Through what? Through these same exact means. So, yeah, we could look at scripture and see all kinds of revivals in the sense of of God doing his work of regenerating souls and bringing that which is dead to life, which is John 5, right? That's what the gospel does. It moves you from death to life. So, yeah, we could see that. But even historically, when you go back to the First Great Awakening and George Whitfield and those guys, I mean, how, how did that happen? They were preaching the word, right? And uh, massive impact on our nation. Mm-hmm. And um, so... That's what we need. If you're going to use that, that's you got to think clearly about it. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, 
having a good senator and a good president, hey, praise the Lord, I'm all for it. If you can find one and get one in there, go for it. But that's not going to bring the change we need. Right. You, you need the word. Mm-hmm. That's what we need, and that's what we need to follow. And uh, so there's also something interesting about this. So there's a difference. Again, this is you, you set it up broadly, so it gives me a lot of parameters. So thank you. There was one place I thought you were going to go, and I'm waiting to see if you're actually going to go this route. Okay. So, so if not, I'm going to take you there. Good, good. Well, you do that if I don't, if I don't go in the right direction. But, mm-hmm. um, but I want to make this clear. There is... There is a, uh, a biblical reality of, of revival, i.e., like I've described, moving things that are dead to life and through regeneration, the preaching of the word, and all of that. Um, and there is, there is a reality of, of us losing our first love, right? Revelation chapter 2, Ephesians, church in Ephesus. There are things, there are times in which we need to be, we need to be reawakened, right? We go, we go stale, we go stagnant, we lose lose our our passion or whatever because we're clouded we're in sin so sometimes people use it that way where you're not dead if you're a believer you're alive but right. but you can you can obviously fall into sin and and choose sin and go down that path and so that's not a right way to use the word but historically and this is a big point there's a difference between revival and revivalism now Revival is what I just described is biblical, right? In the sense of, hey, we should be praying for that in the sense of the preaching of the word and God to use it. Revivalism, though, is something totally different. And that's how most people use the term. I think you're going where I, uh, I was going to take I you. I kind of so. figured that. I think so. so. Because yeah. So I'm talking before about what's right. And here's, here's how you understand it. I can't, I can't generate revival. Mm. I can't call down revival. Mm-hmm. I can't bring revival, but mm-hmm. I can pray for it. Mm-hmm. Because why? Revival comes from God. Mm. Uh, if you understand revival to be life, yep, to be to to be the work of the Holy Spirit and transforming the heart, bringing about the changed life. I can't do that. You can't do that. No amount of smoke and mirrors and lights and sawdust trails and tents in our parking lot and loud music or slow music or whatever else you're going to use to manipulate emotions will ever bring true heart change. Mm -hmm. Only God can change the heart. So only God, if you're using revival in the biblical true sense, that which is dead now made alive, if you're going to do that, then you have to pray to God, right? And only he can bring it. You can't manipulate God. You can't. Again, I come from a culture where this is, they still have them, revivals all the time, yep. every summer, every fall, whatever, the history, you know, have an anniversary at our church, <laughs> we have a revival, yep. right? Uh-huh. And so, and, and what do they do? They move the whole church out into the parking lot, buy mm-hmm. a tent, set up a tent, bring a bunch of sawdust in, make the historical called the sawdust trail yeah, okay. that everybody would run down and they have a revival service and everybody gets saved. Well, what is that? Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what that is. That's revivalism. Mm-hmm. So this is the difference between true revival which is god-given and revivalism which is man manipulated Mm -hmm. that's the difference between the two the first great awakening was true revival if you study this out historically okay first great awakening under men like george whitfield that that was a true revival historical historically when you read about it it's i mean literally amazing watching george whitfield preach 
like just standing on the corners preaching in a in, with no mics, no no audio, you know, uh, microphones at all, and his voice is carrying beyond anything that was even understood. Benjamin Franklin would go and listen to George Whitfield preach. And he was so mesmerized by him. He never became a believer, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was he was friends with Whitfield, and he was mesmerized by him. And one of the things that he said at one point was he could never figure out how his voice would carry. Hmm. He said he said scientifically, right? In physics, it just doesn't make any sense the length at which his voice could be heard so crisply crisply and clearly so far away benjamin franklin would say there's no answer for this it doesn't make sense obviously the lord was at work in ways that only the lord gets the glory and Mm -hmm. i mean people were being converted and weeping and and coming to christ in our history as a as a nation like no time before right and obviously it's why they call it the first great awakening the first great revival (laughs) second great awakening under the under the during the time frame of Jonathan Edwards and uh, and then Charles Finney, well Charles Finney obviously was revivalism. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Edwards was true revival, and mm-hmm. so in the Second Great Awakening you had First Great Awakening was very clear because it was pretty much true revival brought about by the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. through the preaching of the Word. They didn't they didn't generate anything. They didn't try to manipulate anything. They were shocked it was even happening right. because it was ju- they were just preaching and praying and boom holy spirit's transforming lives same thing with jonathan edwards you know he's just preaching and people are getting converted and changed and lives are being turned charles finney totally different he's revivalism he's generate he's manipulating it he's he invents the kneeling bench he invents the the altar call he invents the aisle you know running down the aisle he invents mm-hmm. the the plan, you know, just as I am for 42 minutes until everybody gets tired. He invents preaching long and making it hot, right? So it, it, it just wears on you emotionally. I mean, that was all part of what they did to try to generate uh, uh, a response. Well, that's not revival. That's revivalism where mm-hmm. man generates it. Well, mm-hmm. what happened out of that then was whole denominations embraced that. And that's where that all comes from. It's like, oh, we, we can do this. Every year we're going to have a revival and people are going to get saved. Mm-hmm. Well, how, what are you, manipulating God? Mm-hmm. Is that how it works? He's like a big puppet and you just pull on the right string and he'll mm-hmm. do what you want? Well, that's what we've, again, go back to Romans 1. We've made a God of our own making. Mm. We've totally rejected the God who is for, for our own God. So you have to understand the difference between true revival which is nothing more than regeneration Mm -hmm. born about by the spirit of god through the preaching of the word of god versus revivalism which is nothing more than than marketing tactics of manipulation Mm -hmm. and that's what that's what most people mean when they say we need a revival they don't mean it in a i'm not saying that they mean it in a malicious sense they just don't know but that's all they know they know the altar call they know these kind of things and it's like uh, nah, that's not what we need. Mm-hmm. We don't need that because we can't do that. It's waste. It's and and so if you go back historically and you look at like the ministry of Charles Finney and guys like that, you'll find what's called the burnt over districts. So so these men and there were others like him that were uh, revivalist, right? Mm-hmm. So they were generating revival through revivalism, i.e., the manipulation of man through man centered tactics of 
all these things, like I said, the kneeling bench, the altar call, that kind of stuff. And so all of those were superficial. Those were all superficial um, responses to the word, not spiritually driven responses to the word. Mm -hmm. So they were superficial, emotional, and no doubt people were feeling something in those moments, but that's all it was. It was just a superficial response. It wasn't true repentance. And the reason for that, because it never bore fruits of repentance that lasted. So what happened was you, you'd have all these people that would come forward and make a, make a, a, a petition, a prayer or whatever in, in, a, in a crusade of Charles Finney, and it might last for a month, and then it just it went back to the debauchery, the immorality, the drunkenness, the stealing, all of that, all of that uh, sin came back 10 times greater after his revivals, so much so that they said the places where he went and preached after he was gone, uh, months later, years later, they, it was like they were burned over spiritually. Mm-hmm. You know, when you burn yourself, mm-hmm. how it creates calluses right. and creates a pl- where you can't feel your skin anymore. Mm-hmm. That's what it became. It, it was like he inoculated them to the truth because their, their senses were burned over to it because been there, done that, didn't work. Hmm. Well, I can tell you there's many people that would stand up today and have that same testimony. Oh, I've been to church. I walked the aisle. I prayed the prayer. I raised a hand. My life didn't change. I'm not going down that road. Well, I don't know what you did, but to, but you didn't experience regeneration because right. no one who experiences regeneration says that. Right. But you went through the system of whatever was set before you, and obviously the system doesn't work because it's not of the Lord. And so these burnt-over districts were, were, again, tangible, objective proof of the, of the false nature of revivalism. Hmm. Well, uh, did that answer your question? It gave me more questions. So, yes, that did answer my question. Uh, one, I want you to kind of go over. Um, I just I, I have a whole lesson on this, by the way, in my church history series. So see me see me later. I'll get you some notes. That, that works for me. <laughs> <laughs> I do, actually. Yeah. So the you were talking about the sawdust trail. Can mm-hmm. you give like a. Like what that is, you know, just yeah. for, for folks that don't yeah, know. Yeah, I'm sorry. So from West Virginia, it's a pretty common phrase. But mm-hmm. so in in um, in different regions of our country where this was a big deal, right, the Bible Belt right. in particular, where a lot of this still goes on, where they have revivals. You'll see them outside of church. You'll see this if you're driving down the road and there's a big tent outside the church. Oftentimes that's revival. And right. They'll, I mean, they put it on the calendar. You know, revival week is this week and mm-hmm. bring a speaker in and do their thing. And obviously, I mean, we can we can preach the word and have special seasons of preaching and you can buy a tent, put it in your parking lot. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But when you call it a revival as if you're going to generate it, now we're into an arena of manipulation or an arena of false doctrine in that you think somehow God's going to respond to what you do. That's not that's not how it works. Jesus himself said in John three, the spirit goes wherever the spirit wants. Right. Mm-hmm. Man doesn't man doesn't know. And so this whole idea is if we, it's like it's there is no such thing as a theological syllogism when it comes to regeneration. Right. In the sense of I do this, you do this. I, it works. It's no, that's not that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. So we pray. We pray like there's nobody's business that the Lord, the Lord of all the earth will open the eyes of the people right, to respond to the word. And then we preach the word, mm-hmm. knowing that he's going to use the word 
and the Spirit will use the Word wherever the Spirit wants to use the Word. Mm -hmm. To whomever He wants to apply it, He will apply it. We don't know where, we don't know when, we just know that's what He's going to use. So we do that. So in that sense, yeah, we can pray. I do that every week. Lord, save sinners. Mm -hmm. Open the hearts of those who don't believe. What am I praying for? I'm praying for revival, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not manipulating it thinking, well, if I do this, then, then you have to do that. It's almost like a word of faith. You must do this. I must name it and claim it. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah. So the sawdust trail was, was back in the day, the forties, fifties, sixties. This is very common where they would put up the tent and then they would, they would line it with sawdust, you know, kind of covering the mud, Mm -hmm. covering everything that was their floor. Mm -hmm. And then of course they'd have the, 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 the chairs and everything set up and then they'd have these long aisles and Mm -hmm. that was known as the sawdust trail and you would walk the sawdust trail or you'd Mm -hmm. run the sawdust trail down to the preacher in the front who would call you forward and all of that and so that became a pretty uh common name for revival um yeah you would hear people uh years ago and they would say yeah i walked the sawdust trail you know and that's Mm -hmm. what they were saying you know yep Mm -hmm. i got saved i walked us and people say that I've had it in my lifetime, many times. We're talking to people about their conversion testimony, and they'll tell, yeah, I walked the aisle. Mm. That's their conversion testimony. Mm. When you say, yeah, do you know Christ? Yeah, I walked the aisle. Mm-hmm. You know, what are they putting their faith in? Right? Yeah. You know, and so. There's so, many, there's so many questions that comes from that, like what you just said. One of them is, uh, okay, one of them is this. There is a what is the difference between the sawdust trail and what Billy Graham was doing when he was doing his like massive, you know, crusades. Cause when I like in my old church, what we used to do is instead of calling it revival, they called it crusades. They first, they, at first they were calling it revival. Yep. And then they're like, no, we didn't do a crusade because we're going to go. And that was a whole mission of the church to go and make disciples, yep. you know, and it's like, no, we need to now do crusades. So we're going to go out and yeah. grab people and bring them in. What's the difference between the sawdust trail and Billy Graham crusades? Yeah. Well, in some sense, not a whole lot. Okay. In some sense. Yeah. And other, in other ways there is, there is a marked difference, right? Um, in, in, it depends on how you look at it. So let me, let me back up and say this way, let me just cut to the chase. Obviously, there were, there were people who were genuinely saved under under many different ministries, including Billy Graham. So I'm not mm-hmm. gonna, I'm not throwing out a blanketed statement and saying nobody was ever saved. Obviously, that's not true. Mm-hmm. The Lord the Lord is gracious to use any of us, mm-hmm. right? Anybody to uh, save souls. He doesn't need to, but that's his method, and he has used many people throughout the years. Obviously, Billy Graham has been one of those that the Lord has has uh, in history chosen to use mm-hmm. now to what level that was done i think uh, only heaven will ultimately tell right and so uh, just because you see a bunch of people standing in a stadium down in front of the you know platform does not mean all of those people got saved that's kind of the way we imagine it when we're watching some of those old clips right right and uh, again only the lord knows the heart I know for a fact, I've talked to many people who have been to those crusades throughout the years 
who walked down forward and never they weren't saved Mm -hmm. they they didn't know what was going on they were pulled along by other people and so obviously that happens and so in that sense there's no difference right Mm -hmm. it was it's a manipulation it's part of the movement right you get caught up in the emotion of it and you just kind of go with the crowd and and so in that sense is what i mean it's not that in that there's not that much difference right Mm -hmm. um but in the other sense um especially the early years of Billy Graham, there was, you know, he was preaching the gospel, mm-hmm. right? Now, latter years, it got a little sketchy and a little scary, honestly. Mm-hmm. And he started changing some of his positions, and that was not good, especially as it pertained to universalism and all kinds of weird things. But especially some of those early first years, he was preaching the gospel, and no doubt the Lord used that. And I think, obviously, undeniably, we see many testimonies where the Lord used that. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, yes, um, uh, Charles Finney was not preaching the gospel. Right. He was preaching all kinds of things, but he wasn't preaching the gospel. And so so in that sense, way different, right? Now, um, I'm not saying that God doesn't use a, quote, revival. Just because man has has uh, his plans doesn't mean, doesn't mean it thwarts God's plan, mm-hmm. right? God can save whoever he wants, whenever he wants. And he does that. And even under some of the weirdest ministries, uh, if the truth, if the gospel is going out, um, the Lord will use that if he wants to, to save those who are his. That's why Paul says, even if people are preaching Christ out of selfish means, I'll rejoice that Christ is preached, Philippians mm-hmm. chapter 1. So mm-hmm. so we know that happens. and uh, But yeah, when you're dealing with those big crusades, there's an aspect to it where it's very similar because manipulation happens clearly. And uh, there was a lot of things that were bad with those. And we know that now looking back on them. It's objectively true. In the moment, I think a lot of people were, were trying to figure it out. But looking back on it now, yeah, we can see the the difficulty of that and the, the really confusing damage that was brought with this wedding of evangelicals and Catholics together in those moments where you had all these Roman Catholics that were there who were taking on the disciples, taking on the discipleship of these people who walked the aisle. Like, like you're, that's like, uh, that's like light and darkness. Like how can yeah. you do that? Yeah. And that's why guys like Martin Lloyd Jones wouldn't be involved in the crusades. Like even when he came to London, they wouldn't partner with him. And I think they were right to not partner with him because how can you do that? That's, that's taking that, which is, true and wedding it with what is false Mm -hmm. and if people are genuinely getting saved how are you going to send them to a roman catholic church like what are you doing yeah that's like sending them to the devil Mm -hmm. and that's where it's like very confusing Mm -hmm. and so uh in some ways worse Mm -hmm. some ways worse so yeah yeah i'm sitting here thinking as you're talking i was actually at a billy graham crusade as a kid Mm -hmm. my mom was actually one of the counselors Mm -hmm. to you know like if someone came up they would do that at rfk stadium uh ironically i was at one of those crusades uh it was it was it was a different experience for me because i was a kid but just seeing all of those people at the same time not focusing on you know football you know it was it was pretty pretty interesting but the thing about that is that since my mother was what we would call a commitment counselor Mm -hmm. and that was kind of like what the thing was back during that time um there was a class for commitment counselors that uh we actually went through um 
I think the book was called Decision Time. Um, that was a curriculum to show people how to lead people to Christ. Um, what and this is going right off of like walking the sawdust trail and everything like that. What would be what would be objectively wrong or what would be wrong with the uh, the, the prayer of salvation or mm-hmm. leading someone in that prayer where, you know, you, you repeat after me or you have someone pray uh, to be saved and, you know, all those things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because what, <laughs> excuse me, what it really came down to is those walking that sawdust trail, having those commitment counselors and all that. That's what it really came down to. Yep. Um, what's what say ye about that? I would say I don't I don't see it anywhere in Bible. Okay, that's what I would say. Like, mm-hmm. give me a chapter and verse mm-hmm. where you see Paul doing that. Yeah, you don't. You see him exhorting people to what? Call upon the name of the Lord, and you will be saved. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, there you see Acts chapter two, the first sermon, mm-hmm. evangelistic to the core, mm-hmm. and and they they are doing what nobody else is doing at the at the Crusades. They're not they're not running down the aisle. They're screaming out. What must I do to be saved? And what mm-hmm. does he tell them? Repent and believe. Mm-hmm. He didn't walk them through a prayer. He doesn't say, repeat after me. Mm-hmm. He tells them, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. <coughs> well, in that culture, in that day, f- what, 50 days? 50, that's less than two months. Less than two months after Christ was crucified. And, and what Peter says is, you repent. That means you turn away. You reject, mm-hmm. you reject your 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 Judaism, right? You reject your trusting in the law. Mm-hmm. You reject that whole Pharisaical, man-centered system that says you can be right with God if you just do good enough. You turn your back on it. You reject it. You you come to Christ totally empty-handed, knowing you have nothing to bring. That's that's what it means to repent. Mm-hmm. You turn away from that, and now you follow Him. And you prove it by being baptized. That's that's what that is. That's your flag saying, I follow Christ, which means you're going to die too. Right? Mm. It's literally what Jesus said, unless, unless you t- deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Mm-hmm. Unless you walk the death march, you cannot be my disciple. Unless you die to yourself, reject yourself, your dreams, your passions, your good works, you will not be my disciple. Acts chapter 2, that's what Peter preaches. And they knew it. They knew it because Jesus just died. Mm-hmm. They just killed him. So if I'm going to follow the dead Messiah that just got killed, and Peter's like, and he's raised now, sitting at the right hand of God, guess what's going to happen to you? You're going to die too mm-hmm. because these people aren't going to stop. And that's what happened. A few yeah. chapters later, what? Stephen's killed. All of Jerusalem, believers in Jerusalem have to scatter because they're all being hunted down. And that's exactly what happened. And so that doesn't happen at a crusade. <laughs> The Man. call of that doesn't happen, mm-hmm. right? It's not like, hey, repent, die to yourself, take up your cross. It's repeat this prayer after me. Yeah. I believe in Jesus, and he died. You know, and it's just this this superficial prayer. And again, I know the commitment counselors or whoever isn't 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 malicious or even trying to manipulate. I'm not saying that at all. I don't know their motives. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying reality. Where's that in the Bible? Mm-hmm. Right? Bible is clear. You call out from your seat right there. You. You, you abandon everything and you follow Christ. You give it up for him because apart from that, you, you have nothing. And uh, that's the call. That's calls never given. Yeah. And you don't need to walk an aisle to do that. Mm-hmm. 
And then what happens, the, the psychology behind that is people then embrace the aisle or the prayer that's what they trust in. I, I mean, I deal with it all the time, mm-hmm. right? And people say, well, I pray to prayer. Or people will say, I can't remember the moment of salvation. I'm like, well, why does that matter? Like, are you saved or not? Mm-hmm. I mean, what are you putting your faith in? Your prayer, right? You want, to, you want that moment because you want to put your faith in that moment. No, put your faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. Do you believe him? Do you trust him? Don't trust your prayer. Don't trust the crusade. That's... that's shadowing Christ and that happens all the time right so yeah so my simple answer would be where's it at in the Bible where's mm-hmm. where do we see Jesus doing that yeah. again we're gonna see it in a few weeks in Mark 10 rich young ruler he Jesus doesn't tell him to walk an aisle and pray a prayer he says get rid of all your riches and mm-hmm. follow me yeah again it's again we've gotten so far away from the reality of what the apostles preached what Jesus preached and what he's called us to preach that it's almost like we can't identify it anymore. And um, and I, I'm confident that motives are pure. I don't mean that. Not for everyone. Obviously, there's false teachers and wicked individuals. But by and large, most people are just really trying to do what they think is right and best. I don't deny that. And the Lord still uses it. I mean, I guarantee you, many people got saved in those crusade, crusades, especially in the beginning. I don't deny that. Mm-hmm. Because Billy Graham was preaching <clears throat> repentance in the beginning and and uh, it was a different ministry, um, so I don't deny that. I'm not. I don't want to be misunderstood and mischaracterize anybody. But this I do know: um, there was a lot of a lot of false conversions, obviously, mm-hmm. and many. There's many stories of that. I'm not speaking anything that I don't know and haven't heard, and obviously haven't even inter- interacted with people myself who claim to have done that and then have realized years later, yeah, I wasn't saved. Yeah. And part of that again is because of the of the shallowness of that moment, and um, yeah, so yeah, um, I I got a I got a lot more to ask about that, but I want to at least get to another question right. uh, before and you got uh, more than one. <laughs> I got I got plenty, plenty. So because okay, so one place that I do want to go with that question uh, has to go has to do with. Um, uh, you were talking about the end time. So I got a, a very uh, uh, pointed uh, text message asking if I could ask you about the end times. And what I decided to do is to wait, because I know you're going to be covering some of that in yep. Mark. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so instead of, I mean, I, I think that I am I am itching to hear some of that stuff that you have to say about it, but I'm just gonna leave I it hope alone. You're not itching to hear what I have to say. No, I, yeah, itching to hear what the Bible. Has I'm, to I'm, say. I'm, I'm itching to hear what Mark there has to say about that. No, but I don't. Jesus. Let's not go there. Don't, don't. I was gonna read Paul. You're gonna read Paul? Yeah. I, I, is it All about right. the end times? Yeah. Don't. No. No. Let's All not right. do it now. Okay. Because right. this is I'm what's gonna too. Yeah. It's, <laughs> this is what's gonna happen. It's gonna be a long conversation, yeah. and I, you know, I don't want to well, do that. Let me just read this passage. I won't. I won't make any comment. That, <laughs> I'll, I'll just read it. That's, and all I'm going to say is, who does this sound like? Or let me just say it this way. What point in history is Paul describing? Just listen. But we understand this, that in the, here's your word, last days, there will come times of difficulty. I think we're going through that. For people will be lovers 
They will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud. Didn't we say we have a whole month? Where we Sorry, I, I said I wasn't going to make any comments. Sorry. <laughs> Arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Here you go. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Here's your command. Avoid such people. No comment. Keep going. I mean, how can we just walk past that? <laughs> listen, listen. I, oh, my goodness. I, I, all I did was set you up because obviously there's a lot we can say about last times and a lot we need to say, and we will. But I just, I love that passage in this sense because it's so clear in describing what the last days are going to be like, mm-hmm. and we are in the last days. So one of the questions that has to be admitted, one of the questions that has to be answered right away biblically is, are we in the last days? Obviously, we are. Yeah. We have been yeah. since Christ ascended, obviously. Mm-hmm. But even more so now, because yeah. Paul says, in the last days, <clears throat> this was what it'll be like. It's like that now mm-hmm. to a T. Yeah. And exponentially circling the drain of hellish self-destruction. Mm. We are going at a rapid pace, almost by the day. I. I'll tell my wife sometimes it's like God has his finger on the fast forward button in the divine DVR. Mm-hmm. It's like he's just moving it even faster because mm-hmm. it's like you can watch it happen almost new cycle to new cycle. People, The depravity of man is coming out even more. And obviously Satan's at work and the evil ones afoot and the prince of darkness and the powers that under him are at work, which is in large part governments because he controls them. And so... Now I'm saying more about last days than you wanted me to. But there you go. Read the passage and go keep reading. Because what's the answer to all of that? He he, he says it. Revival. Preach the word. <laughs> Regeneration. If, if that's what you mean by revival, yeah. I'm all for it. Yeah. That's what I pray for. Yeah. I'm praying for it all the time. Prayed for it this morning with Pastor George Lawson. Okay. He and I prayed together for revival in the pulpits. I think we need to just leave that alone because right. I do have more to, to ask about that. But you opened the door, man. I, yeah. No, actually, I didn't. I just <laughs> asked about revival, and then you opened the door to all the other stuff. Oh, are we back to where we used to be? Yeah, that's, that's pretty much. Are we, are the training wheels off now. We're back riding smooth. Yeah, we're, we're back. We're yeah, back. It didn't take us long. I do want to mention, though, <laughs> the, the word reckless was in there. Yes. And uh, the first thing that came to my head was that that – horrible song yes. called reckless love and uh how they are literally pointing to to god saying that he loves recklessly no and yeah. uh yeah that's why so, we don't listen to that kind of music yeah I, I that, have to delete that off the podcast yeah this yeah yeah I, it's not on this podcast all right <laughs> so this is the other question i'm gonna ask and then i'm, I'm gonna get out your hair so um, actually reading this uh, book called The Sinfulness of Sin by yep. Ralph Venning. Yes. And something struck me right in the side of the head when I read it and it it was it was it was like, wait a minute, how is that even a thing? So uh what 
Ralph said, let me find it uh, when it comes to it. Basically what he said, I just, I just you know, kind of paraphrase what he said. But he was talking about, he was going towards the, the, the effect of talking about 1 John 1, 9. Yep. yep. And um, when he was talking about 1 John 1, 9, the thing that I, here it is. After St. John had said that if we confess our sin, God is faithful and not only merciful, but just to forgive our sins. And that the blood of Jesus Christ shall cleanse us from all sin. Yet he adds, these things are written that you sin not. They dare not sin that good may come of it, nor tell a lie that the truth of God may thereby abound unto God's glory. Mm-hmm. Now, what hit me really hard, and I was this is what I've been kind of thinking about. How is it that God is just by forgiving our sins? It would I would think it would be the opposite, that he would be just not to forgive our sins. Because when I think of just, I think of justice, and I think of him being right in the fact that he should not be forgiven our sins. Mm-hmm. The just part would be him punishing us for our sin. Mm-hmm. So how is it that God can be just faithful and just to be like faithful? Yeah. Faithful to forgive our sins. I get mm-hmm. that part, but also just like mm-hmm. giving us justice by forgiving our sin. Mm-hmm. Or am I just reading the, the sentence wrong? Nope. The answer to your question is Romans three. So I would say turn over there mm-hmm. and um, good question, important question to understand clearly. So if you go over to Romans three, Paul uh, uses the exact same language you're using. Um, he start, you can start in verse uh, 21 of Romans chapter three, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested uh, context. He has just explained he's finished uh, Romans chapter one through three twenty, which is essentially summation man needs the righteousness of God Mm -hmm. so that he just finished that passage that just goes through and explains how no one seeks after God. Uh, Our lips are like vipers. Mm -hmm. We are God haters. And all his point, uh, all he's saying is Jew and Gentile alike are all under the wrath of God. You hate God. You're, you know, we are all sinners, Mm -hmm. right? That's, that's what he's just wrapped up. That's the first section of Paul's treatise in Romans. And now he's transitioning to God's response to man's sin. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he's going to talk about a just and the justifier. So mm-hmm. here you go. But now the righteousness of God that man desperately needs has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Here you go. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that, purpose statement, he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What he's saying is, is God is just because he already punished the sin of the Uh. believer on Christ. That's what propitiation is. Mm -hmm. So Christ becomes the propitiation. He becomes the appeasement of God's wrath because God's wrath wasn't swept under the carpet. 
right? That's what you're thinking. It's like, how can God be just? Because he hasn't, he hasn't punished us for our sin. He swept it under the carpet. No, he didn't. He laid it on Christ. So all of your sin, right, has already been judged. It wasn't like God just swept over and said, ah, just let it go. No, he judged your sin. Mm. He just judged Christ for your sin. That's why he is just. All sin is punished and justifier. He now justifies you, even though you didn't pay for your sin. He justifies you as a gift because you have placed your faith in the one he's judged. Man. That, yeah. That makes total sense because I've read, you know, I've read this passage before Romans. It's like just and the justifier. Okay. But thinking of it as, you know, the, uh, turning it on his head, basically, my sin is all, is put on Christ. Like I hear yes. that all the time, putting my sin on Christ. That was the judgment that I was supposed to have. Yeah. But since it was Christ being that he's not just the one that's taken the sin, but he's also the one that's justifying me as well. Yes. Now, can you explain that part a little bit more? Well, go back and, and just to clarify you you your sin has already been judged you have to you have to get that okay. right that's why romans 8 1 says what it says right mm-hmm. that's where assurance of salvation comes from right that's why perfect love john will say cast out all fear right first john what is it first john 4 right what does he mean perfect love perfect love for god love love for christ will cast out all fear because his love for us has already been poured out in our hearts where the judgment has already done. I have no fear of judgment. I have no fear of judgment because judgment has already happened. Mm. It's already done. So I'm not going to be judged for my sins because they've already been judged. They're done. There is no double judgment, right? Because mm-hmm. God would not be just. Just mm. like a judge wouldn't be, wouldn't be just if he sent you to jail for 20 years, you paid your judgment, and then you came back out and he says, you know what? You need another 20 years. Double jeopardy. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it's already been judged on Christ. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because God has already judged your sin. Hmm. That is huge. Now, that's the judgment side and the justice of God to judge sin. He judges all sins. So it's either he's going to judge it on Christ or he's going to judge it on you Mm -hmm. for all eternity in hell. And the reason why it's all eternity is, one, you've sinned against the cosmic creator of all the earth Mm -hmm. who is infinite. Therefore, your sin is infinite. Therefore, your sin deserves infinite judgment. That's why it's forever and ever and ever. Furthermore, this is a side most people don't understand. You never stop sinning in hell. Therefore, you just keep reaping more and more judgment. You never change. You, it's not like you go to hell and somehow you, you, it's like purgatory where you change your ways. And you're like, now I know. Now I believe. No. You still hate God. You still sin against God. And you are still reaping the judgment. That's how wicked we are. Mm. And so you will either pay for your own sins for all eternity or Christ will pay for them. But they will be paid for. They will be judged because God is a holy judge. He has to judge sin. That's the judgment side. The justifier side is the grace of God. And this is, this is the beauty of the gospel. 
and the forensic justice of God, whereby he says, like the judge, paid in full, you are now justified. You are now righteous in my sight. Well, how can that be? Because you're not. Because your sins get judged on Christ, and Christ's righteousness gets placed on you. So that the judge looks at you now and no longer sees you as a criminal. He looks at Christ and sees him as a criminal. He's not the criminal, but he's standing in the criminal's place. That's why he goes to jail. He goes to judgment. And now he looks at you, as it says in Isaiah, robed in the righteousness of Christ. And it's as if you've never sinned. It's as if you've perfectly kept the law. Therefore, he justifies you. And what is the connector between that? He says it multiple times, faith, Mm. faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So as you place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's the great exchange of of 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Your sins go to Christ and his righteousness comes to you. And therefore, this is the amazing truth of the gospel that no one could ever make up. No human being could ever come up with this. It's totally divine Mm -hmm. that God can be just in judging sin and the justifier of those who believe in him. And he's right to do it. Mm. Well, uh, that's the gospel, my friend. That is the gospel. And um, that is glorious. Yes. Because then your justification isn't earned. It isn't deserved. It's forensic. What does that mean? It means it's a divine declaration, like, like a judge, where he just smacks the gavel and he declares you, now free he declares you now right and that's what justification is we are declared right in the sight of god even though i'm not right i'm still a sinner Mm -hmm. i still have a sinful heart i still sin how can i be right because it's his declaration not based upon my life Mm -hmm. that's where people get confused my my justification isn't based upon me if it is i'm done Mm -hmm. it's based upon the faithfulness of god in christ Mm -hmm. and the righteousness of christ on me and there that's why justification is is divine it's a divine declaration where god says you are now righteous mm-hmm. boom yeah and i i did want you to make a clarification because the justification that we have it's the the, the thing about it is people will look at that as you know when the excuse me when he smacks the gavel that we are made righteous Mm -hmm. and um is that a a look is that how we look or is that what we are it's it it is it is one forensic it comes outside of us Mm -hmm. so that's why that term is important right it's Mm -hmm. given to us it doesn't come from within us so therefore it's it's not it's not based upon anything we have anything we do anything within us at all nothing is that imputed yes that word yes yes it's mm-hmm. given to us but it's given to us by a divine declaration it's what god says mm-hmm. about us mm-hmm. it's how god sees us right mm-hmm. and so that's so important because that's that's where our our salvation is rooted in that right it's not based upon anything i am anything i do anything i say it's based upon everything god does everything god says everything god is and so it's just simply my repentance and faith in Christ alone 
and we are justified. Now, that justification can't be divorced from our sanctification mm-hmm. because that justification then brings about our progressive sanctification where now we're justified in his sight. He also now makes us holy, ultimately, mm-hmm. one day future glorification where we will be perfectly uh, glorified, but in the process now we're going through the pr- progressive nature of our sanctification where he is making us holy. So he sees us as holy, right, in our positional uh, nature with with Christ, but in our progressive nature he is making us holy, and that's the rest of our Christian life. But our justification doesn't rest on that. Mm-hmm. Our justification rests on the cross, mm-hmm. on everything Christ did and everything God gives to us and everything that has been given to Christ in the imputation of our sin to him and his righteousness to us, our justification is on faith alone in that alone. Mm. And that's it. Now, that's not alone. So then that brings the transformation, obviously, all of that through regeneration brings about then the ongoing work of sanctification. That's where we begin to grow in holiness and all of that, uh, which is a blessing. Perseverance of the saints. Yeah, well, in the end, that's what we do, which is all a gift of God as well. Mm -hmm. But that's taking, again, all those aspects of salvation, right? The diamond and turning it. One aspect is justification. Mm -hmm. Another aspect is is election. Another aspect is redemption. Another aspect is propitiation. And you just keep turning every one of those. Those in and of themselves are are not salvation complete, but they're an aspect of it that just makes it brighter, and sweeter when you understand them but they in their entirety is what salvation is all about which would include sanctification glorification all of that Mm -hmm. that's good that's real good um i think we're going to stop here we're we're an hour in right now a little bit over an hour here and uh look for more we will be recording more um as time allows obviously um the you got more questions (laughs) Plenty, plenty. And somehow you preach and more questions just somehow arise. So <laughs> I, heard, yeah. I heard somebody say that good preaching will always bring about more questions. Yeah, that's definitely the case here. It'll answer questions and it'll provoke questions. Absolutely. So uh, the gospel was definitely uh, hit on uh, many, many times in this podcast. So uh, I don't feel the need to uh, give it to you in any way, but I'm going to give it to you in the short version. Um, first, uh, everything starts with a holy God. Uh, the second is that we see man sees itself and should see it's hurt themselves as a sinner. And, uh, because of that, we cannot see God because he is holy and Jesus being the propitiation, uh, being the appeasement of God's wrath, uh, has come to earth and, uh, lived a perfect life. And after that, we have a, uh, a choice that we can make. Uh, we can choose either to reject Christ and uh, God's perfect plan, or we can accept it and uh, be imputed the righteousness and uh, begin the process of sanctification. Thank you all for tuning in to the Truth Talks podcast. If you have any questions, please email us at the Truth Talks podcast at gmail.com. Also, uh, you can give us a call at 612 612- 88 truth and uh i will see you all next time and god bless i'm so happy to be back y'all understand i'm just so happy to be back take care thanks for tuning in today please subscribe to the podcast and leave a comment 
If you have a question, please send them to the Truth Talks Podcast at gmail.com. Visit our Instagram and Twitter at the Truth Talks Podcast and visit our website at bellcroftbiblechurch.org. Delighting in the Word that we might walk in the truth. A ministry of Bellcroft Bible Church.